All right, we've reached the midpoint a little bit earlier than expected with Season 7, Episode 4, The Spoils of War. A little bit of a rhyme there. Like I said, there's only seven episodes this season, so we got to the midpoint a lot quicker than we would have in the last six seasons. And, oh man, let's just say that the track record that was established two episodes ago by these unexpected last-minute, out-of-nowhere third-act battles, oh man, we ain't seen nothing yet, is all that I'm going to say. Pat, what are your thoughts before we go into this episode? Hey, listen, Dom, I think you and the Talking TV family that's Talking Thrones with us tonight can agree that maybe this is not about the spoils of war, but the spoils of Braun and our lack of there, thereof of, of what he was able to walk away with. Um, just his life this time, no gold. Poor Braun. He just he cannot catch a break, you know. All of that and more on today's episode of Talking Thrones. a little bit of an interesting conundrum because on the one hand you have an episode that has to follow up the gangbusters episode that we covered with last episode the queen's justice so this episode kind of starts off with like a little bit of like a petered like kind of me i'd say like kind of medium pace you know they're kind of like relaxing you know they're just bringing this gold back to king's landing after the after their big victory you know you've got some more character reunions you know you've got effectively the plot that kind of carries us through the, the b plot i should say that carries us through the secondary part of the season with aria returning home to winterfell and then it's all capped off by this insanely awesome action set piece that comes out of nowhere that almost, I feel like, trumps the Greyjoy attack from two episodes ago. But it's been one of those interesting things where it's come all the way around where now that we've watched it, now that I, like many other people, have watched that specific sequence at the end of this episode like 100,000 times. Like, I remember this is one of, that was one of, like, my favorite things that come out of summer of 2017 was the loot train attack that happens at the end of this episode at the end of this episode, that it almost feels like it's come all the way around full circle, where it's like, because I know exactly when it's going to come, I don't know, it kind of gives this episode a little bit of a <laughs> feeling to it, you know? I don't know, what, what, what's your take on that? Hey, uh, the only thing I want to say is last week when I said, hey, didn't they secure the gold at King's Landing? And you were like, oh, I don't know about that. Basically, I reviewed this episode, uh, you know, just before going over live here and recording this. Comb. Dude, you know, there's a line of dialogue where it's like, yeah, we got the gold through the gates. <laughs> and, you know, 100% you were on the nose. They, well, hey, listen, the, the whole plot hinges on it, right? You know, the the bank has to be paid. And so if, if Daenerys came along and burnt the gold, then, you know, Cersei would be in big trouble. So, listen, for all those people that were, uh, you know, biting their nails and, and worried that Cersei uh, and Jamie weren't going to be able to uh, pay their debts this time, well, you know, there's a line of dialogue in this episode that guarantees that that debt is paid. I'm glad um, that you were able to say that because, like I said, it kind of does justify the scene because, like, it, it is kind of a, in a way, it's like almost like them shooting themselves in the foot once again. But it, but you forget that, oh, no, they did kind of go back and cover their asses where, again, the scene where Cersei sits down with the banker Tycho Nestoris and they're discussing, obviously, you know, the, it's a brief scene. It's really not consequential to the rest of this episode. This episode doesn't really have a whole, doesn't jump around a lot as much as the previous two episodes are really only in three primary locations in this episode. Episode. And the biggest surprise, and obviously it's kind of like a really awesome thing to way to build up tension and then, you know, deflate it where you have Cersei talking with the banker and, you know, the 
Taiko Nostoris is beyond impressed that she was able to come up with all of this debt. Sorry, with all of this gold in order to cover the crown's debts, and then they immediately go into discussing, uh, you know, the Golden Company, obviously this mercenary fleet that's based out of Essos that the Iron Bank, you know, usually uh, hires out in order to recover some of its debts whenever they don't, um, you know, whenever they're someone doesn't pay their debt, and. So I feel like a, how awesome would it have been if it's like, wow, Cersei had just gotten this huge victory and then Daenerys just comes in and blows it up. And for the longest time, I thought that was the case because I'm like, if, if, if not for, like you said, that one line of dialogue, I mean, she blows up pretty much every single wagon on that trail with the dragon. Like, it, like oh, man, it's like they well, needed to put that in there. Here's the thing that's funny to me is that everybody else is kind of going along the get along and, and Braun is like, hey, where's my gold? Where's my castle? Whatever. And, and Jamie gives him a bag. And it's like, you want... It's the opening yeah. scene of the episode. He goes out of his way to open the back of the car, pull the bag of gold out, and slam it at his hands. Yeah, you want your gold? Here it is. You know, and I wish, I, you know, I think Braun wishes he took out an insurance policy on that <laughs> because, you know, when Daenerys comes in and destroys the train, he gets separated with his money and. Uh, I don't think he's ever seen. Uh, he just walks off that field with his life and and Jamie's life. Like maybe that's another debt. Hey, I saved your life again. I mean, that, <laughs> you know? that's the biggest question at this point. Is at this point, it's like at what point is Bron going to just like like realize that like this shit is not worth it? Because like again, it's like all the way up to a dragon almost breathing fire on him and destroying him. It's like I've been making this point that Bron is really not had a real purpose in the show. Obviously, since season four, when he ultimately chose Cersei over Tyrion, but like this one, it's death literally staring him oh. in the. Face I think Jamie's new deal of like, hey, once the war is won, you get to pick any castle you want. I think that's pretty tempting to to stay the Lannister course and, and see that Cersei actually wins this war because at the end of the day, you want High Garden, Great. You want River Run? Great. You know, it's whatever one you want, you're going to be able to take because Cersei's going to be in your debt. And, you know, hey, you know, if you want a castle, what's the best way to, to get a castle? It's whatever one you want right for sure and obviously he they, he picks out high garden and obviously jamie's still pissed because he's still kind of like digesting and well, processing in this in this episode last... he's like why don't you just give me that castle and right and jamie tries to talk him out of it and that's when he proposes this deal it's like any castle after this you know wait till there's peacetime and then you get your uh you get your fortification. Right. You get your reward. Yeah. So, like I said, so we'll cut to the other two storylines. We'll talk about them in detail because, like I said, there's a lot that goes down in each of those other two storylines. Then we'll cut back to this in order to cover the main action set piece at the end because I want your thoughts on it, Pat, as far as how it compares to it. Because this is one of the only action set pieces that's not directed by kind of one of the big name action directors, you know, Mark Mylod, Miguel Sapochnik. Um, What's it called? Uh, Neil Marshall, obviously, in the past. This episode, famously, it's the last of the new directors they brought on this episode and the next episode, East Watch, is directed by Matt Shackman, who also directed many episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, directed the second episode of The Boys most recently. He's been around, and it was really interesting because this was one of like the first big action set pieces that I remember them really going in-depth in with behind the scenes as far as just how they pulled it off because like the levels of detail that go into this scene, it's it, it's nuts, to say the least. Like they, they I, I go back to the argument that I made at the beginning of this season where they really really went out of the way to just upend every single summer blockbuster by just being the best summer blockbuster there was that summer. But let's cut to Winterfell first. I want to do that. Well, we haven't talked about to we haven't talked. Uh, we, we didn't spend as much time in Winterfell in the last episode, obviously, aside from just Bran coming home. The scene opens up. It famously little figure yeah, is already is trying to work his claws in. And Bran is like Bran is almost like the, is like the guy from Seinfeld. No, no, no. You're not getting in. You know, he presents him with the knife that was almost used in the first assassination attempt at, on him. 
um, was, you know, trying to cover up his tracks, the fact that it was his knife that was used. And then uh, I, I just love how Bran, like, gives him the line at the end, repeats his own line back to him that he did way back in season three, the whole chaos is a ladder. Uh, chaos line. is it's... a ladder <laughs> like his robotic voice um you know i don't know it, it's bran is uh firing on all f- cylinders here in this yeah. sequence because you know he's given this dagger and he's almost like staring at him like why are you giving this to me yeah like, it's like you know you, you know that i'm not that like this is gonna serve me no purpose it, like... does does, does bran say uh you know do you know who owned this? And like little yeah. sort of brushes it off. Yeah. And he definitely and, like, does. And, yeah, as yeah, if yeah. he's not going to know. I mean, it's in fairness. Little finger is not at all aware of what brand is actually capable of. And if anything, like I said, the chaos is a ladder line is there to like kind of issue. It's like, you're, you're out of your depth here. You know, all of your scheming and manipulating is not going to work on me. You know, yeah, he, anything, he backs I, off like pretty much really right quick. away after, after really that quick kind of exits the room. Um, you know, and then uh, we get basically Arya popping up at the gate, right? Oh, that's, no, you forgot one scene. You forgot one very I mean? crucially I, important scene. You would, Bran's impromptu goodbye to Mira, where Mira's just like, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, I spent okay, the yeah, entire yeah. of the last five seasons looking out for you, dragging you around on a sled, having my only other family member die for you, watching everybody that we were with leave and get either picked off one by one because every other single person that was in their original party from way back in season three, Jojen, Osha, Rickon, <laughs> Hodor, Summer, Shaggy Dog, all dead. Yeah, Bran, Bran just goes, and thank Bran's you. just like, thank you. That's it. You, you could travel now. with me again if you like. Or probably not, because I'm probably never leaving here. <laughs> and she just pieces out. That's it. She's like, I need to be with well, my family. Yeah, she's kind of upset, out. right? You know, it's like, yeah. thank you. That's all you're going to say to me. And, right. and not like, uh, oh, my God, like, we survived, you know, like, uh, this is a bond that can never be broken. Like, the fact <laughs> that we escaped not. a tree you know, full of a dead tree people full of dead chasing people. us. Yeah, um, I always had a giant <laughs> nitpick with this scene because I always thought it, it, it seemed after the flashbacks in season six, obviously, you know, and this is more of a thing that they get into in the books rather than the show, which is Ned's, you know, kind of lifelong friendship and alliance with Mira's father, Howland Reed. You know, and I always thought that at some point they were going to bring Howland Reed back into the show. You know, it's even a written plot line in the books how Howland Reed and his men, the Cranach men of, um, of, of, of Deepwater Watch, I think is the name of their castle. The whole thing is that is that it's set on the marsh, so it's constantly moving. So it, it's never really in one place. And, you know, it's kind of interesting how they've constructed this floating castle. And so I always thought that they were going to build up like Howland Reed as a character that was going to have an important part to play. And the fact that this is the last that we see of Mira... After kind of all that established backstory, it's like, oh, okay, it's just another plot line that Game of Thrones just drops out of nowhere that could have been really interesting. It's funny. It actually reminds yeah, me. Well, it's it's one of those things like, you know, season seven, there's only a, a handful of episodes left, and you got to kind of say goodbye to some characters. Like, if they're not going to have a major death or a major role in the wrapping up of this story, well, you know, maybe it's a good thing that they go and they be with their family and, and you know, Mira basically – is left up to the audience to believe whether she survives the long night or not. Well, my, my biggest question is that, like, why wouldn't she go and then bring the Kranach men back? Isn't the whole thing that's being established here is that they need pretty much every northern soldier on their side now that winter has come? So it's like, why? And the, and the Kranach men are shown to not only be effective fighters, but also the fact that they thrive in fighting in non-traditional battle elements. So why wouldn't the Kranach men come back? back and participate in the yeah, fight against well, the they, you know the, the the probability is that they were there at winterfell during the long night and they were fighting and 
uh, it's just not a focus of the show. So, I, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's like we're done with Mira. The journey's over. This signifies, you know, Brian's got to move on. He's got to be a little creep in the the corner. <laughs> you know, um, and we got to go. Serve his only purpose line. left in the show, which is just stand next to the tree and and spy yeah, on the night king. What is Mira going to do if Mira stays? Like. Oh, don't mind him. He just says creepy things all the time. You know, like, <laughs> she's going to be making excuses for him. Um, you know, so I think the fact is, you know, unfortunately, storyline wise, you got to get her out of the picture. Um, you know, really cool actor, really cool character. Uh, I agree with you. I wish they did more with this character. You know, if they brought in her family, uh, that would have been, you know, it probably would have been cool. Um, but I, I think, you know, uh, the premise is. Uh, to streamline these last two seasons, you know, like, like I said, I think these were built for streaming. Um, and, you know, so far we're both kind of like rocking season seven and enjoying yeah. it and feeling yeah. like, don't do like that audience, viewing audience, don't so, take this the wrong way. I do still love this season. It's just, this is the episode where some more like, Oh, we, we got new game of Thrones problems rearing our ugly heads. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, um, you know, at least she didn't get the OSHA treatment of like that's just true. being killed off. That's you know? true. That's <laughs> uh, true. She at least we, got to live to fight another day. We yeah. She could but, be in the, the Jon Snow sequel, right? You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't remind me. But yeah, it's funny because it reminds me of a spec script that I wrote. It's actually one of the first things that I wrote in when I when I transferred to like my main accredited university, SUNY Oswego, where basically season seven had just wrapped up. So for a spec script, I basically wrote like kind of for lack of a word, like my fan fiction of what like the ideal first episode of season eight was, a full like year out before season eight was. And in there, I had it where Jamie on his way north actually ended up running into Howland Reed. And in my own head, in my own version, for whatever reason, I saw Liam Neeson as Howland Reed. So just imagine like Jamie Lannister barter with Liam Neeson <laughs> back and forth. And he just tells them it's like you know i have a particular set of skills and those set of skills are make me a very dangerous man you know but just doing all the taken dialogue and all that stuff i was oh, having man. a little more fun that's not what yeah, i actually wrote but in I, my I, head i'm like oh man that'd be a lot of fun there i i think you're a little too much on the uh, liam neeson sauce but uh hey man I, I could totally picture him you know uh if he was going he fits to... right into the world you know outside the taken verse he does fit right into the world kind yeah, of. If, if he was going to do a big budget tv show you know game of thrones would be a good one i think it would be know? It would be. It's like that and but Outlander. Whatever. You know, there aren't a whole lot of, aside from him just randomly popping up in an episode of Atlanta for just weird reasons. This past season of Atlanta was weird. But anyways, we cut. Yeah, I, where was this comment last episode when I was doing the fantasy booking of uh, yeah, the, well, the I, Snyder cut of, uh, you know, season well, eight? Like I said, you have your fantasy booking episodes and I have mine. You know, we we got to space these out. You know, it's, it's what makes good podcasting. But anyway, so anyway, we cut to Arya. Yeah, Arya's exactly. finally oh, back. Man, this scene. She's home. Oof. And from the minute that Arya, like from the from the minute that Arya, that you see Arya come over the hill and it pans up to reveal Winterfell the first time that she's been back home since the second episode, all the way through to the end when she fights Brienne masterful like complete yeah, and, and masterful you know she meets the two stooges at the gate you know yeah. can't, but, yeah, can't figure and, and, and a little bit of a throwback <laughs> to season one fun fact the skinnier one of those is actually for all any of those people who are just you know made very sad by the tragic passing of eddie munson in this most recent season of stranger things that actor joseph quinn is uh is eddie right there the skinnier one so pat that probably means nothing to you because you haven't no, no, seen no, the no, most yeah. recent season of stranger things but for Listen, all my stranger hey, things hey, diehard hey. fans out there you know yeah, Stranger Things uh, season one was was fantastic. I was all on board, and I just you know left it at that. It was a one and you're probably better off, is what um, I'll say. Yeah, listen, it, it might there might be great episodes after season one, but the nostalgia and like yep. just you know how cool season one was that that was enough for me. So um, yeah, I don't I don't get your reference, but uh, you know to all those people that do in our audience, so you know yeah, we'll team. see. 
Yeah, but anyway, so like I said, she gets past the two Stooges at the gate in the same manner. They go to report to Sansa. Sansa immediately figures out that it's Arya, that, that it's Arya. I'm going to skip all, like, the fun banter back and forth that they do at the well, gate. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. Really it's, it's it, you know, it's kind of a good uh, homecoming. You know, it sets the, uh, it right. kind of sets her being someone that, um, you know, can talk her way into the situation. Like, right. she's obviously, she's not trying to hide, you know, and that's that's the main thing is she wants sansa to really find her you know she wants to get to talk to her family as soon as possible and we know that Arya could have just walked in could have snuck up could have been like you know doing sansa's like linens for like three weeks before you know saying hey i'm home you know (laughs) i've been washing your laundry the whole time it's it's Um, pretty funny yeah so yeah so this this is you know for the character of her going straight up to the gate sort of purposely being caught by these guys and and having a back and forth banter like she's controlling the whole situation right. um you know and and then she goes to look at Ned Stark's uh you know uh, crypt and man you know Sansa and Arya are just like why who who sculpted yeah. this they're like what like, is going on here it looks yeah, nothing should, like him <laughs> you should have got someone and they're like oh well it makes sense everybody knew his knew face him dead. <laughs> right it's a great uh, scene yeah, it, exactly. it's good to see these two back together it's funny because you 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 the way that the, the familiarity that these characters have once they're back together you know sansa aria bran that their chemistry is so good and the individual performances are so good because these actors have all grown on their own so well individually you know they've grown and mature like these guys have been in the show for like almost a decade at this point you know they were all like like what like i'm trying to think how old they were like 14 13 and like what 10 when they were first cast and now they're all adults you know i think at the time there was like 20 22 and 23 or something like that so they've been in these roles a long time and they've inhabited these roles so well that you almost forget that these characters have not had a single minute of screen time of interaction since the first season hell the three of them have not been on screen together since the first episode so it's kind of amazing how they managed to make it feel like no time has passed and what's also so interesting about kind of how this sets up for Sansa and Arya's arc going forward is that Kind of the the Arya kind of serves as like the beginning of like kind of the monkey wrench and Littlefinger's kind of plan and like stranglehold over Sansa because the thing that's so interesting about Arya and Sansa's dynamic is that rather than kind of like immediately devolve them into like bickering and squabbling like they were back in season one, instead what they do is they have Arya act as almost like this check against Sansa's better nature where Arya is constantly calling out Sansa for the fact that it's like, okay, I know that you mean well, but I also know that you kind of like you enjoy this power, you know, and I'm here to kind of remind you that uh, kind of remind you of that, you know, kind of almost act as this natural deterrent against it. So it creates this really interesting dynamic that's very that's very well established, I think, when kind of Arya seemingly jokes about her kill list, you know, and Sansa's like, what? Oh, and, the kill you know, list. Oh, oh it's great. Who it's else great. is on your kill list? A you guy know? named Bill. She's going <laughs> to kill Bill, you know. It's like, uh, at this point, the kill list is, is just a joke. And it really the, is, the because everybody on the list died um, completely free of her. The only person that she actually got to kill on the list was Marin Trent. You know, she didn't even kill the Hound herself, you know, at least so she thought at the time. Yeah, exactly. And and, and I think that's one of the things that's awesome about uh, Arya's storyline is that, you know, she's a, a traumatized child, you know, when Ned Stark gets his head chopped off and she comes up with this list and, and she's going to go train and, uh, this is how she's going to get her revenge. And it's it's a little bit of a, a childish notion. Um, and all she has is that list. That's how she processes the, the, the trauma. And she she goes through the whole training with, with no one. 
Um, you know, and afterwards it's like the list doesn't really matter anymore. Right. It's, it's, she's growing up. She has these capabilities, these very particular sets of skills. And, you know, she can see, see the Liam Neeson, the yeah, Liam Neeson yeah, influence. Yeah. It continues. Well, that was just that was just for you. Uh, uh, Tom, <laughs> you're, you're talking up uh, Liam Neeson. So I had to. to it's so funny. I made fun of my but, grandma um... for years for watching every <laughs> single bad Liam Neeson action movie under the sun. And now all I do is quote it. So. Hey, listen, you know, there's there's nothing better than a uh, low-budget uh, Liam Neeson movie where he plays the it's same kinda, character. You want to talk about but... running jokes? It just kind of became a hilarious running joke how every single Liam Neeson movie for a decade was, oh, take it, but this, take hey, it, but hey, that, listen, take listen. it in the wilderness. I'm just going to go ahead and say here's my dream movie, and if, if you're listening, uh, you know, Warner Brothers, make this happen. Uh, basically, Liam Neeson is a bodyguard for Ed Sheeran. And Ed Sheeran gets taken, and Liam Neeson's got to go save Ed Sheeran. So if, if they, if anyone's out there, if there's any justice in this world, that movie will be made by Christmas. Um, the <laughs> fact is, um, you know, by Christmas in less than six months. So get on it. Yeah, hey, it, it writes itself. So I think you can uh, whip that one out there. You know, attach oh, uh, Vilvanu to it before he gets to uh, Dune Part Two. But, um, oh man! I also say missed know. opportunity not casting Liam Neeson as the Emperor for Dune Part Two. But hey, you know to eat. <laughs> Jeez, you know, wow! Uh, you really have a focus on him. Oh, but, I really um, do. Anyway, the main thing here is that Arya has her kill list. She reveals it. You know, it's sort of unsettling to Sansa, but she kind of understands it. And you know, we get to the uh, next scene, which is, you know, Bran hanging out by the tree once again. Um, And he reveals that he knows about the kill list. He's like, she was at a crossroads and she was going south. Why? Because Cersei's on her kill list. <laughs> you know, and it's like, like what? There's more yeah. brand just kind of bringing in like his, his powers and like kind of uh, again. It's one of those things where again we make fun of it all the time, but like it, it is still kind of well conceived. Where kind of this is the only way in order to make keep people understand just what he's capable of because it's like for lack of a better word they obviously don't have technology they don't have the internet so it's like there's really no way for them to understand like that brand is just this literal library of everything that ever has happened within the course of their entire world so yeah i I think the best part about the sequence is the moment where brand goes oh i don't need this dagger it's yours and and it's like what do you mean? It's like, you know, it's you don't want it. It's like, what does a cripple need with this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he's yeah, you're having so much fun with these bright impressions here. Listen, it's it, oh, I don't know. I It's it's oh man. It, I, I don't know. I, I just can't stop. But, um, <laughs> you know, the main thing is uh, that moment really sent uh, chills down my spine because, you know, obviously we know what happens. You know, right. it's it's this is the moment where, you know, you. Y- once you kind of watch the whole entire series and you're looking back and you're looking at, you know, I'm making fun of it, you know, I'm I'm kind of doing the voice and whatnot, but you know, you just see how it's peppered in there that Bran is acting in a very particular way. He's saying things to characters, um, you know, to sort of get reactions out of them to get them to sort of move into position. Like he's kind of rattling some cages, but at the same time, you know, he's, he's making some chess moves um, you know, and obviously it's very ominous. Like, you, you know, you're not going to necessarily be able to say like, oh, uh, you know, the show creators were, 
uh, definitely, you know, told you about what was going to happen or whatever. But um, what they do that is masterful is that they they show you that, you know, Bran is playing a game on a different plane. And, you know, I think this is one of those scenes that's dead on. It, it kind of like uh, he knows that the Night King is going to meet him at that tree and that dagger is going to play an important part. And so right. is Arya. Um, and so whether or not you want to believe that's true, um, you know, here it is. You know, this is like the best shot that they have. And it's happening here in season seven. Um, and so I, I think it's, um, you know, I think it's quite clever. I think it kind of, you know, way the way that the show ends and the Night King is sort of eliminated. Um, here it is sort of the seed is planted as early as season seven, episode four. Um, and you know, it's, it's a great scene. Just like he, you could see like when she takes the dagger and accepts it, there's sort of like a relief on his face or like some sort of, you know, response that, you know, uh, this is in good hands. And so there, there is like this foreshadowing that's happening in this scene that I think, you know, I don't know if it's intentional, maybe it wasn't necessarily a hundred percent, you know, thought of at this point when you wrote season seven yeah uh but in, because it still doesn't explain for how Ari was able to just shadow jump like naruto shippuden style over all of those <laughs> other white walkers and then yeah, magically yeah, yeah. get caught by but the whatever but i know, mean yeah it's, it, it's, it is pretty interesting setup there you know looking back in hindsight after watching the whole series okay. like uh this is like a defining moment of brand's uh sight beyond sight um, you know, his, his, uh, Thundercat ho moment, um, <laughs> you know, where he's able to sort of give the, the final weapon, uh, to the person that needs it. Right. And obviously you have that really awesome shot after the fact of the three Starks all reunited, all walking into the castle. And then you have Brienne and Pod looking over them and Pod's like, you fulfilled your vow to Lady Catelyn. And she's like, I did no such thing. I, I thought that was a really cool shot. And then it's followed by the fight, which I'm like, man, I mean, the, the fights and the action in this episode are obviously the centerfold, but like, man, like that fight between Arya and Brienne is so much more awesome than I possibly could have anticipated it being. And it just gets more awesome every single time I watch it, where Arya and Brienne are both kind of cocky in their own right. They're both like kind of like butter each other up, but they both know that they're awesome fighters. So they both like they both like kind of utilize their distinct different fighting styles against each other. And that whole time, it's all a display of just like of like Littlefinger just realizing just how dangerous Arya actually is, and realizes that Arya might be the bigger kind of problem than than uh, than Bran is ultimately. You know, it's like Littlefinger is just like, man, I finally had Sansa all to myself, and then her two dastardly siblings come in and just ruin my plans. You know, it's all things I, I can almost imagine it was like a Scooby Doo villain just like <laughs> whacking his his finger in the air. Well, you know? at this point, but um. Yeah, I, I think the fight scene between Brienne and Arya, like, you know, it's a little unbelievable that the the shack of uh, women knights is basically going to be sort of on par with, you know, um, the, the I don't know, the, the freaking... The, the mouse from Cinderella, <laughs> you know, whatever. whatever it's definitely a little bit of plot um, armor that kind of goes. Yeah, there, there's a, there's a little there. bit of a, a height difference as well. Just I'm trying a little to, bit. Trying to get at. Considering Macy Williams is um, a whopping like four foot five or something like that, compared yeah. to Brienne's like six foot whatever, you know. But what but I what I think really makes this scene work is the fact that you know, like you said, that they ha both have confidence in their skills, and they're both ribbing each other. And ultimately, we see a scene where they're both having fun. Right. So there's never like this idea that, you know, Brienne's getting like super frustrated because Arya's kind of one upping her or whatever. There's, there's not like, 
you know, this tension that's built that Arya is better than Brienne or on her level. Um, you know, the two of them have their sets of skills. They're having fun sparring. And, you know, uh, they kind of have mutual respect for each other at the end. So, you know, no matter what Arya's actual skill level is, you know, it's like Brienne sort of testing her and Arya's testing Brienne. Um, and it's not really said which one is better than the other. It's just, you know, it's shown that they're able to sort of uh, get some points on each other. Um, and they had fun. You know, yeah. it's it's like they had a good spar sparring session. Um, and so clearly Arya has gained some skills. Um, you know, maybe she has some more to learn, but that's not the point of the scene. And I think that's why this scene works. It's just like it's two characters uh, just getting to know each other in the sense of combat. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Right. I only have one nitpick with the scene, and that's after the fact when Brienne asks, like, oh, where did you learn the who taught you those moves? And she's like, no one. I'm like, I'm like, okay. She may have learned a lot from the faceless men, but she didn't learn sword fighting from the faceless men. I, I don't care. I'll be the only person to continue to champion Serial Pharrell, <laughs> the first Sword of Bravos from season one, who freaking taught her how to fight with swords in the first place. The only thing she learned weapons-wise from the stupid faceless men was how to fight with those dumb bow staffs, but she just got knocked out half time anyways by the wave. So that's the, well, that's the only you know, nitpick I listen, have. Listen, I think it's one of those things where you're going to have to say that a lot of the off-screen time that Arya had was training with the sword, with the wave, or something like that. Um, you know, or like when she was training to do assassinations missions, uh, that was part of it. You know, maybe the whole like weird blind staff fighting in the middle of the streets is meant to represent that fighting style. Um, you know, like it's it's kind of hard to say. There was no specifically on screen thing that shows you that her skills were advanced um, in that situation. Right. You know, right. in in the the. Uh, temple of good and evil, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> the at house this point, of black and white. Yeah. Sorry. We're, we're, we're already out of that area. Yeah, we're so we're out, like, of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. All right. But, um, you know, the main thing is, yeah, she got her start sword fighting, you know, uh, from her famed, uh, sword dancer teacher. Um, but Serial Pharrell, the first sword of yeah, yeah, Bravos. Exactly. Who lost, but, to, who lost fighting a wooden sword to Marin Trent, who is now yeah. also dead. But I think the main thing is, like, she went to Bravos, you know, she got, you know, this intense training. And even though we didn't see uh, too many specific scenes showing her sword fighting, uh, we can imagine that that training sort of amplified her skills. For sure, yeah. So now let's cut to Dragonstone, the other big kind of cornerstone of this episode before we get to the loot train attack. A lot of stuff happening here. Kind of opens, like, a little weird. You know, I, I'm, I'm still kind of not really sure what their thought process is with, with, with the cave scene where you have Daenerys and Missandei going down the steps to meet Jon where he's mining the <laughs> dragon glass. What, what, a, a, what scene. a scene where she's like, oh, oh, oh among other things. You know, as John's, like, John's like a little worm. kid. John, well, no, well, like, well, well, first with the oh, scene he, with Miss Sandy and Daenerys, where she's worried about Grey Worm, yeah. and she's kind of subtly hinting at like their steamy scene that they had together back in episode two. And Daenerys is like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" And then uh, he's like, "You'll have to tell me more later, you know, because you know they, they love getting the oh, girls yeah, gossiping yeah, yeah, yeah. right there." And then John brings him into the well, cave. Doesn't doesn't she say like, "Oh, we've been doing a lot of things" or some yeah, like, yeah, weird something line like that? Something like that. that. Like, that. Oh, I'm like, man. what? Yeah, the, the, I'm like, what the, is this? You know, um, I guess the translator and the queen, right? That's a whole new, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, 
That could be a, a special mini series. That, that, that could be the, another spinoff in and of itself, you know? The two of them gossiping during yeah, it the, could be. the hey, events man. of uh, Game of Thrones. A lot of people um, watch it. But yeah, so John, John bringing Daenerys into the cave. Like, I'm not really sure what the oh, point dude. of this scene is. It's like, well, it's, where... it's, it's such a weird scene because he's so like weird. a little he's like a little kid he's like oh my god look at it look at it you want to you want to come see my my cave full of dragon for a, glass for a before we chop it almost trying to emulate like oh, the egret scene where it's like oh he's clearly turning up like the the charm on her you know they're like, oh they're in this dark secluded space separated from everyone else it's like oh, okay we, we oh, get yeah. it oh, on Daenerys, okay you but know. the main thing is you know he takes her in there and he's like look at the dragon glass it's like not even that it's like look at these look, cave paintings look at it's these like, things what yeah it's uh, there's all this chalk drawings down there and yeah. it's a how the men and the first man work together and and well, the she, first men and the children of the forest yeah, yeah, exactly, but yeah exactly and she and she walks right into it it's like oh my god we might be able to do that again and it's like yeah. then it it's cuts like, really? to it cuts to the night king and it's like they were fought, they were fighting forever the night king you know this is what humans do <laughs> You know, yeah. like she to say on the nose, I think does a disservice to it. Because yeah. it, it so oh, the only th the only thing missing from this scene is um, him like kicking a piece of chalk off into the the, the side. <laughs> like you know, like John could have totally just drew all those. Totally, drawings. like there's absolutely nothing um, to prove that those were there like before him. Yeah, you exactly. Know? It's it's one of those. And things, it ultimately results. John's in a good like, character, so yeah. we'll take it that you know he did find these things. Right, an but honorable the fact character. Is, yeah, the fact is, like, he could have very well went in that cave, drew these things, and made up the BS story, and been like, "Hey, now you got to help." I was supposed to say that doesn't really result in anything because Daenerys still says, "It's like, okay, I will help you if you bend the knee," and John's like, "Crap, yeah. like that doesn't accomplish." And I'm like, "We're back to square one again." Yeah, and it gets well, worse when they it gets worse, clearly, but also funnier when they walk outside and Varys yeah. and Tyrion are there. I would just them. say clearly that cave scene is just there to remind you what the stakes are between the two of them. Um, you know, and that's that's really it. You know, the main bread and butter of this sequence is what you're about to talk about is when right. they exit that cave. Right, they exit the cave, Varys and Tyrion are standing there, and she's like, Well, is there any word? And they're just looking at each other like, Well, crap. It's like it's like great, as if losing Dorne and the Iron Islands were bad enough. Now we lost Highguard. We pretty much lost all those allies that we had at the end of season six, going into season seven. We had this great plan to protect the city. Yeah, they're all gone. They're like, the Sand Snakes are dead. Yara's captured. Elena's dead. You know, and, and Daenerys is rightfully pissed. And she turns right around and turns it back on Tyrion. It's like, yeah, so, so far, you've managed to lose. Your plan has managed to lose all of our allies, get half our army stranded on the other side of the continent, and make us sitting ducks here, you know, on Dragonstone. Yeah, and she's basically has no food right because right. high garden had all the stuff and they right high garden had all the foods so they have no food supply what's even worse yeah. is now she thinks that Tyrion is secretly aiding and abetting his family and uh, let's say to some extent she's not wrong because Tyrion is trying to reach a consensus that doesn't result because it's definitely become clear throughout the course of the kind of the transition from season five until now that Tyrion is not nearly as malicious about murdering his family as he was back in season five which where that was established, I don't really know, because to my knowledge, Tyrion was still adamant about, like, kind of, you know, doing this as a revenge tactic against his family. Like I said, this goes to kind of, like, all the way back to kind of, like, their motivational change from Tyrion as a character and kind of where he was going in the books versus where he is now. But 
like the, the biggest thing that's kind of established here is like John started to step in on the political side where she's like, okay, screw this plan. I'm going to take the dragons and we're roasting King's Landing to the ground. It's back to the original plan. And Tyrion's like, we've discussed this. And she's like, yes, we have. And then she looks at John and is like, what would, what would you do? And John pretty much like says the same thing that Tyrion's been saying this entire time, you know, showing that like, again, they are kind of still in the same ilk, you know, it's like, yeah, if you go and you take the dragon, then you burn down King's Landing. You're just going to be doing exactly what Tyrion and what has been saying and what Cersei wants you to think, which is that you're going to be seen as a foreign invader who's done, who is doing nothing but kind of reinforcing all the old ways that you're trying to bring down, you know? So I guess my, my main question here is, you know, um, they kind of don't finish that conversation. Right. Kind of, you know, uh, that's the end of that yeah, scene. Yeah, it, it's the beginning um, where, like, it feels like there was a scene missing here, you know? Where, yeah, well, I think it's, 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 it's meant to... It's meant to... Yeah, it's meant to give you... Um, basically not to give you a complete picture of what she decides to do. Um, you know, it cuts back to Jamie Braun and the, the gang, uh, as they are going into King's landing with the gold and the food, right? They are, you know, and, well, no. You know, so what happens next is so next you have the scene with Davos and John talking with Miss Sanday, you know, kind of Miss Sanday, giving gotcha, them a little gotcha, bit more gotcha, gotcha. reinforcement of like kind of why they follow Daenerys again, more, more so establishing like the similarities between the two of them, which is like, yeah, but we for, don't follow at, Daenerys at for, for, out of fear, yeah. out of loyalty, you know, and respect. At least for freedom. Daenerys wise, they don't finish that conversation completely. Uh, because ultimately, you know, they're going to go off and they're going to make their decision about what to do. Right, because it's uh, meant to set up, because again, if, um, if, if you show Daenerys leaving, then it ruins the tension as far as like, you know, kind of the for the surprise attack that comes later on. And so then after the encounter with yeah. Missandei, we cut to, I think, another kind of really brilliant scene yeah. that again, and, it's and like this- And was great because it's, yeah. it's, oh, you're from North and- um, you know, why, you know, what, what would happen if you told Daenerys you wanted to go there right now? And it's like Daenerys would give me a ship yeah. and wish me luck. Also, um, more, more great stuff from Davos, who we, uh, I, yeah. I think was like weirdly hitting on Missande in the last episode. I'm not really <laughs> sure, but like, but like, but he's back and forth here where it's like, you know, uh, John, this is King John. No, that doesn't quite sound right. You know, look, King Snow, you know, it's like just, 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 stop, oh, yeah, it, you know? it's definitely, that was great. you know, it's, it's when you have Davos, you have Missande, these, these are clearly like, you know, and, and John also, but like they're fan favorite characters, um, you know, and they're having fun with that sequence. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely worth saying it's it's one of the better scenes in this episode, um, despite the fact that it really doesn't have too much consequence. It basically right. just, you know, shows Davos and John for, for the great how joy. dedicated the people are. Right for the for the Greyjoy kind of landing afterwards, where th- where they spot the onboard ship landing, they go down to greet them. Theon gets to shore and finds himself face to face with John. And I think what what is kind of again like it, it's it's really underrated because it only gets like two scenes together. But like John and Theon this season, that's some great stuff that happens in those scenes. Like some really really great stuff where there's a, like a lot of unresolved baggage between the two of them. I mean, the two of them have never really had a relationship of any kind, you know, from the get go. But you have to assume that they probably like had some interesting encounters in there. You considering that they were kind of both treated as outsiders at Winterfell. You know, John being at the time the bastard, and then Theon, you know, the ward slash hostage. You know, even though they all grew up together, those two kind of always kind of were probably treated like outsiders and so them kind of coming back together at this moment when they really haven't had any shared time together john only knows two things about theon one (laughs) obviously of his betrayal and him helping to destabilize winterfell and leave it open for the boltons in the first place and supposedly killing brandon rickon but also him freeing sansa and his work to redeem him yeah oh god theon's uh great so he pulls up 
and he sees John. He's like, oh, John, I, I, I didn't I was, expect I was, to see you I wasn't expecting you to be here. Uh, how's Sansa? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's like. She okay? Then she just grabs him by the by the throat. I'm like, man, people yeah. have got to learn to stop talking about Sansa in front of John, first little finger, and now Theon, you know? Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing to me. Like, uh, Theon doesn't know what to say. He's clearly caught off guard. Like, he knows he has no ground to stand on. And. Um, but he tries. He tries to be polite, and he tries right. to sort of not overstep his bounds. And right. of course, you know, John has to tell him where you know. Right, the but bear well, is well, John does do the, the honorable. Well, John does do the the honorable thing. Like I said, keeping consistency with his character, where he's like, again, is like what you did for Sansa. That's the only reason why you're still alive right now. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, we heard your uncle attack your fleet, and he's like, we know we captured my sister. We're here to ask for her help. And the last line is, oh, she's not here. Before it cuts back to the loot train attack. Now, let's talk about it. The action sequence. So, obviously, again, this is in a litany of long kind of gestating, you know, kind of surprise attacks, for lack of a better word, that kind of originated with Hard Home. But, I mean, obviously, nobody expected this episode to go anywhere. You know, we would all kind of been like, it's crazy because even after the Ironborn attack at the end of the second episode, we still didn't really know what to, we, we still kind of like probably like had this feeling of like, not really expecting there to be another action sequence, especially this soon. But like, I mean, the way that they build up, I mean, first, just the, the encounter with the Tarleys beforehand where Bronn, they're of course, like they have their encounter with Randall Tarley. And he, of course, like is like, you know, uh, if I could make a suggestion, you know, flogging stragglers usually has a marked effect on resolve. And Jamie's like, OK, let, let, let's back off. You know, we, we want to make these men feel like they were rewarded. They just won a victory, you know, and then they have the yeah, encounter. Well, it's 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 give them. Give them good enough warning first, you know. Right. It's like so. Jamie's trying to be like that commander in the middle, like you right. know, it's saying no without saying no. You right. know, like it's basically just give them a little bit of a buffer, you know. Um, and it also plays into it, right? You know, they're they're kind of slowly migrating back. Uh, right. To King's it played, but it plays up that it's like yeah, even though their vi their victory at Highgarden was pretty decisive, it's like they they did still fight a battle. They've been marching. There's a lot of miles of land between Highgarden and King's Landing. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're taking a lot of breaks. You know, they're relaxing. They think that they've got it easy, and so it makes the swiftness and of the attack once the Dothraki finally come in. So th this is outside King's Landing, right? Because they don't know, really they, specify how much ground they've covered. Is the thing? Well, they they secure the gold through. inside some sort of keep. So right. they they literally have moved the gold from High Garden to presumably King's Landing. So this has to be uh, some sort of watering hole outside of the the main city, the capital. Right. Right. Is that would be my assumption. Right? That is you know? the assumption, yeah. So obviously again like so again, like it's very, very I, I think that of all the battles that have come since Hard Home, this I think is the one that is the most similar to Hard Home as far as how it's built up with the characters. You know, that there's a sound in the distance that they hear. You know, they're talking with Dickon when Bron is like, wait a minute, you hear that? And even though you don't hear the Dothraki screamers yet, in your brain your brain is already doing like the mental legwork to realize it's like, oh, okay. Like and like that amazing, amazing shot of the horizon as the Dothraki Racky slowly come oh, up over it, it. It's great because, you know, uh, they're screaming, shields and spears, shields and spears, and get in the formation now. And you see the Lannisters, you know, uh, basically prepping for a, a battle that they've fought you know, are trained for thousands, thousands hundreds, you know, hundreds of times. And it makes it even worse because the Dothraki, the as we be. know, the Dothraki, as we know, fight differently than any yeah. sort of well, army on the For the planet. most part, it looks like it's just going to be a general cavalry versus spearmen type, uh, you know, setup. And, and you know, the Lannisters might actually, with the shields and the spears, have a, a heads up. 
But the one thing that they're not counting on is the attack involving dragons. And the fact is, um, you know, she says Dracarys and burns like, uh, you know, the front lines, anyone that's in that front line position burns them alive. And that allows an opening for the Dothraki to get past the formation and start wreaking havoc. Like their line is pretty much broken uh, with one, you know, flame shot from the dragon. And that's going to be a, have a devastating impact on this battle. See, I have an interesting take on that, which is that I don't necessarily know. Obviously, the dragon makes a big difference in this fight, obviously, since, you know, you have, like, the big attack from the air. But, like, I think the Lannister soldiers would have had a tough time fighting even against the Dothraki regardless because it's just a combination of the Dothraki's fighting style is just so different than the traditional Westerosi fight. It goes all the way back to season one with kind of the Dothraki almost laughing at the Westerosi style, you know, saying, oh, you are you have all this armor and all these weapons, but it does nothing but slow you down, which is where even though the Dothraki clearly do not have as much protection as the Westerosi, they make up for it in their speed, their ferocity, and their ultimate fearlessness where they just charge dead on at that cavalry and even though they lose a few people like the ultimate just sheer might of that many horses just charging at them is clearly going to be too much for any sort of cavalry and that's before the dragon comes in because you know jamie jamie's confident that it, jamie's already overconfident that they can take the dothraki and even he doesn't believe that because again they westeros has, goes all the way back to robert's warnings from season one about the dothraki westeros has never fought anybody like the Dothraki before. They are, no matter how much they prepare, they are not prepared for this kind of assault. It, it goes back to what Robert said in his conversation with Cersei back in season one when he was originally worried about this sort of thing happening. You know, he's like, the Dothraki will, if the Dothraki come, he's like, you know, we can't meet them in the open field because we can't beat them. Robert knew this. He's like, so we stay hold up in our castles while they go around, you know, root, uh, you know, reaving, you know, raping our women killing all our livestock, destroying all our commoners, how long before the common people begin to see Viserys as the true king, you know, back when Robert was paranoid that Viserys was going to be leading the, tar the Dothraki over. And this is the actual visual demonstration of that, on top of the fact that you have a Targaryen riding a friggin' dragon for the fighting in Westeros for the first time in over 300 years. And I mean, we all knew what these things were capable of, just based off the fact that, you know, they're dragons, we have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do. But the thing that really sells this battle and really, I think, helps to separate it from and make it, I think, even more effective than something like Battle of the Bastards is just the fact of it kind of brings back, like, kind of the moral gray to the fight where even though Daenerys is the good guy in this situation, you kind of almost feel bad and are almost, like, kind of well, rooting for, for Jamie, you know? You know, where... on, on the last episode, I talked about how I never really felt like the CG dragons were well integrated into the show. Like, they, they look great. They're great models. Um, but like, you know, when Daenerys is riding them, it kind of looks like a cheesy yeah, green screen thing. That looks like a little bit um, like a green screen. You know, there, there's, there's, you know, the shots are kind of like very conservative because they have to sort of like be able to realistically frame them, uh, against, you know, uh, backdrops and stuff like that. Um, one of the things that I thought was really well done in this particular sequence is the practicality of uh, all the soldiers being burned alive. Like, yes. um, you know, that looks really, really well done and like gruesome. And like, uh, I just sh shudder every time I see like uh, the flames hit the, sh uh, 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 the men, you know, right. and, and, and that and gets like, into some of the behind the scenes oh of the God. episodes it's, as well, because crazy. if you if you watch the behind the scenes of that episode, they're saying that, like, yeah, with the exception of the dragon itself, they try to film this fight as practically as they possibly could. Where they're like, yeah, all those scenes that people getting lit on fire, they're like, yeah, we were lighting extras on fire. They had 
dummies, prop dummies upon prop dummies upon prop dummies getting melted down. They they really went for it as oh, far as dude, how practically it, they it, shot it. This. Is, it you shows. Know, it's devastating just like how realistic all that looks. It, it really does look like these men are being melted down, um, you know, from the fire. And, um, you know, the audio design is, is really well done. You know, yeah, it's the it's way the like score horrific. hammers away. You like the um, sense of dread, you know, where it's like, again, again, it's like everything of it's like, wow, this is what could happen. You know, yeah, and- I, I will say I think the dragging is, uh, in my opinion, is still the most devastating factor in this battle. Oh, one hundred percent. But the Dothraki, you know, we yes, we do get to see them scream. We get to see them, you know, be very confident, right? You know, Tyrion's watching the battle, and one of the Dothraki is like, "Oh, you don't know how to fight," you know, yeah. like he's basically well- judging the Lannister men and and understanding that, you know, this is a complete. Um, an utter rout of, of Cersei's uh, troops. And, you know, it, it's, hey, it's almost like the Dothraki <laughs> lead guy is like, we're, we're done here. Yeah. Like, well, this, so this war is going to wrap up, up soon. That brings up a question that I wanted to ask you, which is, why is Tyrion here? Like, Tyrion, obviously, again, he's like, he's proven that he can fight, but again, he's like, he's not a battle guy, you know? He's 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 a strategy well, guy. So, it's like, my question is, I'm like, did Daenerys bring him here only to show, was like, okay, just a reminder of what I'm going to do to your family, you know, and to make sure that you know what side you're on, you know? So, here's, here's the thing that's weird to me, is like, did, you know, John was basically in the middle of saying, like, hey, you can't burn the city down. Like, you got to you gotta decide yeah. to do something else. Right. So did Daenerys sort of say, oh, good day, John," and then come up with a plan with her advisors about what to do here, about, you know, burning right. down, you know. It's, the, it's the, another one of those things army. where you're reliant on the um, watching the spectacle of the action. And then when you start to think about the logistics of it, it's like, how did she know where to find them? Was she just flying overhead until she found them? How did yeah, Dothraki well, get there? Because that has to involve ships in order to get the Dothraki with the horses there. Um, okay, exactly. getting into so there, there's plan. Like, so they, they, she's not going to burn down King's Landing, but she's good. But any other army outside of King's Landing, oh, that's fair game, you know? The the gap the gap is kind of uh, it is a little bit of a weird thing in this episode, but uh, you know it, it's. Because, you know, I'm just generally interested, like, how much did John literally say, like, well, you know what, maybe you should, you know, figure out when their army is out and about and, like, weaken them. Right. You know, because if they have no army, they can't really fight you. Right. Again, one of those things where it it, it could have benefited from another scene and they only cut the scene in order to make the the initial attack more surprising. No, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it being a surprise. And it's like, you know, you could have had Tyrion on the battlefield and he could have just been like, oh, God, you know, John was right. This was a great decision. You know, like you could have just, you know, had him at the battle watching and being like, you know, oh, wow, this was a good plan, <laughs> you know, and just yeah. just have a little bit of tell the audience that, you know, th- this was something that they is an alternative to burning down King's Landing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you and know, like obviously said, we're it, visually seeing that. Right. Well, it works I think we want to know, like, what the thought process is from the characters. And, you know, all we saw is the end result. We right. didn't actually get to see that decision making of, you know, something that's not, you know, is devastating, but not as cruel as burning down the city. Right, and it ultimately works because rather, it's if anything, it's more effective because rather than just burning down the city, she shows us like, okay, this is what could and will happen if you guys don't start to kind of fall in line and realize who is going to win this war. It's a demonstration of, look, Cersei is going to lose 
no matter what. Because at the end of the day, she's finally showing off the trump card that she has on her side. And Jamie, who she, who they know obviously is Cersei's number two, sees this up close and personal and realizes just how screwed they really are. And he realizes, oh man, we really have just been like playing at coins, and she's coming in with full dollar stacks here. Like we, 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 we cannot compete against the dragons against the Dothraki, you know? Of course, that doesn't stop him from making a foolhardy move of almost trying to charge, you know? And well, first you have this one really funny moment where Bronn drops the gold, obviously. He's getting chased <laughs> by the Dothraki, gets to the scorpion. Shoot, yeah. it's really confusing because, again, this starts the inconsistency with the scorpions throughout the entire show where he manages to shoot Drogon in the shoulder, seems to injure it, and then Drogon recovers almost like it really didn't do that much damage, blows well, up the scorpion. I, 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 th I, think, I think Drogon, you know... Um, in this sequence, it, you know, Braun just sort of is under pressure and he fires as quickly as possible and hits Drogon in, in an area that kind of just like hurts, but it's not, not devastating. Right. Right. And so, you know, Daenerys lands, it's taking the spear out and, you know, um, yeah, it's done some damage. It's not exactly like, uh, Drogon's a hundred percent anymore. Uh, but he's still able to defend her, still able to, you know, fire off that fire. Right. Um, you know, so I, th I think it's one of those things where um, Braun is going to go back, you know, for a debrief with Kyburn, and, you know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, it, it penetrated, well, I mean, the, the, the but it didn't really take the dragon works. down. Yeah, the debrief you know? definitely works for sure, because obviously, as we see, you know, Euron is able to use it rather effectively in the next season. But I mean, yeah, I guess it's, my only it's thing going is to be, you know, uh, faster, stronger, right. you know, bigger, uh, all those things. I, I imagine that Kyburn between now and then. Right are going to make those adjustments. I guess just my only... And I know that, like I said, I this, this is a, can't really be a nitpick because we don't know what kind of supernatural force goes into the Night King's thrust. But all I know is, I mean, I'd have to rewatch the episode again, but to my knowledge, that's the same spot that the Night King hits Viserion with in the spear when it kills him in two episodes from now. And obviously that dragon goes down like a sack of bricks. So I don't know. Maybe it's just the difference of like, you know, distance, speed, dexterity, supernatural forces. I don't know. But the point being is that Jamie charges right at Daenerys. He sees his one shot to end the war, realizes that like the chance of him walking away from this battle are slim to none alive, I should say. And then, you know, one of the other things, I, you know, I know this uh, this will be my nitpick is uh, last last week, you know, we're talking about, you know, the whole uh, poison factor, right? You know, uh, Cersei and Kyburn are in the prison cell. Um, you know, and they're doing the last goodbye or whatever, whatever the poison's called. Um, you know, why, why not put, you know, like soak the tip of the spear in that same type of poison and see if it has an impact on the dragons. Right. Um, you know, because, you know, it, 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 or whatever, some sort of poison, you can imagine if, if the, you know, Drogon gets hit in the shoulder and then over the course of a week, he sort of starts feeling sick and ill and, you know, um, you know, oh, man, maybe he that dies. Blow, maybe, you know? Well, yeah, maybe he dies. Maybe, um, maybe he just takes the dragon out for, you know, a considerable amount of time as, as that poison works through its system. Um, you know, I'm, I, it could, it could very well have been like, you know, uh, oh, hey, maybe we should combine these two techniques to take out the dragons. Um, you know, obviously, you know, for story simplicity's sake, uh, it's just going to be giant spear, giant dragon, yep. you know, one's going to win. Right, <laughs> you know? exactly. Um, but That's I, I ultimately think, what it comes down to. I, I think all this, like, you know, playing around with poisons, 
um, you know, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch for Kyburn to kind of think about that and, and put on these the tip of these spears. Right, especially since uh, Kyburn has shown that he's more than capable when it comes to that. But Jamie, he makes the charge. The Drogon comes out last minute. And through sheer force of, like, man, it just shows that, like, if this doesn't prove that Braun has got the best plot armor of any character on this entire <laughs> show, as he literally somehow manages to run up, Dive tackle Jamie out of the way right as Drogon's head is right there. It blows up the horses. They dive into the river, sink down, and then somehow in the next episode, they're like just floating out miles away. They somehow manage to survive after all that without trying. It's, it's amazing to say the least. I mean, we'll, we'll get into some of the kind of the plot and logic and consistencies that start next week yeah, with Eastwatch. What, but does uh, the next episode start with the uh, the music from Donnie Darko? And it like should. A, a montage, a montage of all the, the, the killing and stuff that happened. And, I mean, it should, but no, um, <laughs> it's, it's them coming up like right as they submerge from the river before it cuts yeah, into the, you know, I'm the just thinking here. about like a very, you know, slow montage, like, uh, um, you know, just showing all the devastation. And Yeah. I mean, we, we do sort of get that, obviously, you know, what we see kind of like the, the pats of the dragon is like yeah. literally, like, I think one of the most effective but, but shots that, of that this. song would be perfect for that moment. And yeah. I, I, I totally forget what the uh, the name of the song is. I, it, wait, are you talking Tears for Fears or no? That That's the one where they're it, walking into the high school. Is that the one at the beginning when they're in the high school? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, as they're walking into the high school, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that song, right? Or tears, for, tears for Fears as, as just the, 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 the remains of the Lattice soldiers are just being blown away. Oh, wait, that, that, that's you know? the more positive one. Isn't there another song where it's... Uh, there might be. I don't know. That's the uh, only one that I remember from Donnie um, Darko. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a while since I watched that one, so maybe that's gonna have to be on my uh, you know streaming uh, wish list. Yeah. Um. To to just get my reference, I, I totally blew that one, I guess. But uh, Donnie Darko, well, well worth visiting. Yeah. Uh, indeed. If you haven't seen it. Yes, indeed. Great movie. Great action scene. Very very effective in what it does. That was season seven, episode four, the spoils of war. We'll be back next week. For season seven, episode five, East Watch. And oh man, much as I love this season, man, this is where the plot and logic inconsistencies begin. We're going to cover all of that and more in next week's. We've only got three yeah, episodes. Is this left just Janice seven. sitting around East Watch? No, it's a whole lot of. It's a whole lot of setup and characters running around from location hopping from one place to another yeah, in order to. You got sent to, to East Watch. Didn't someone get sent That was Torment. That was Torment. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because it's the first we get him back since the first episode. But, yeah, yeah. all of that and more on next week's episode. Pat, where can the good people follow you? Hey, uh, you know, jump on Instagram, at Patrick W. Huber. I'm posting things, uh, not left and right, but, uh, you know, every once in a while I'll, I'll put some photos on there. Uh, you'll see me if you, uh, you know, follow. Absolutely. At Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms, at Official Talking TV Podcast across all platforms. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Twitch, listen to us for new episodes uploaded every Friday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're almost done after this episode. We've got nine episodes. That's right, count it. Nine episodes left of Talking Throne. That's going to be yeah, good as we get closer and closer. Listen, I think everyone needs to uh, build up their own particular sets of skills. Uh, <laughs> now you're getting it. More, more now, of that. Now you're getting it. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. 12 seasons in a short film and watch more fucking movies.